a steaming pile of DOS games. All this and more coming up on Quite Recently in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Selfie on the shelfie. DOS deck. And the half-life of half-life. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. The gang is back together. Hello, guys. Hey. Hello. Good morning. We are all here. Um, how have we been? How, how's your week been, guys? I have been. Um, I've been ill. I've been in bed for most of it, thanks to yeah. your disease. <laughs> it was uh, I got definitely from you, a hundred percent from you. I had a fantastic trip to the cave. Delighted, I went down there. I was down. I drove down on Saturday. I had a quick session in the arcade on the Saturday evening. Um, we had a fish supper in the cave, you, me, and Pillock. Yeah. And then on Sunday, it was the Amigos thing, which I think you're going to talk about. I took some some presents home with me. I took my, um, Alan, uh, Happy Coding, gave me this. It's an Infocom game. He knows I love my Infocom games. I don't, I, I don't have uh, a collection of the original boxes like this. Um, For those on but, audio only, what is it? That this is the Infocom um, box. These they open up. They've got a plastic insert in there. They've got all the feelies and so on to help you go into it. This one is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, an Infocom game that I did play all the way through. I'm sure I must have got hints though, because it's super, super difficult. It was actually made with Douglas Adams himself, who was a bit into his tech. Um, so I've got that, and there is a space on the shelf for it. Um, I took this down with me um, to read. This is the Arcade Britannia book. Didn't read a single word of it because I didn't have a chance. <laughs> I met Pixels at Dawn, uh, and he gave me my copy of Amstrad Addict. I decided to wait to get it in person so I could read it down there. Didn't read a single word. And I also went shopping in the cave, and I got uh, a book I'm, I'm, oh, I'm yes. looking forward to reading, the CRDP book, which is massive, a great big weighty tome. I've had a browse through it in the cave. It covers lots of lots of games that I remember. Um, I'm delighted I got that. So I, I had a great trip down there. I brought lots of toys home with me. And the thing I'm not showing you is I kidnapped Aaron from the cave. So I've got Aaron. He's still in my car. I need to bring him in. And I don't know what I'm going to do with him, but he will he will be seen again. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Amigos Retro Gaming Podcast is um, a podcast that's hosted by John, the daddy of This Week in Retro, who started it with me all those years ago, um, and Aaron. And Aaron also hosts many other podcasts for other systems with uh, his brother Brent. Um, just a great set of uh, podcasts. But John came over to the UK from America. It was great to meet him in person. And we hosted an Amigos Retro Gaming episode in the cave, which isn't out yet. I've edited it up. That'll be a nice Christmas extra over on the cave channel and on Amigos channel. And I really hope, because they so deserve it i hope it will draw some attention to their podcast get them some subscribers they're doing okay for themselves but i'd love to give them a real kick um because they deserve it their show's so good and it's a it's a staple in my car on my commute so go and check out amigos retro gaming if you haven't already done so and hear john's familiar voice if you're a long-term listener the event was fantastic it was great to have you down dave chris bailed on us i mean why he wouldn't come around the <laughs> world to spend the day with I, mean, I was literally in the country two effort. weeks before, right? <laughs> <laughs> Low effort, Chris. Um, so that was really great. Um, in other news, our next episode, what was that? Is that your cat, Steve? 
That's the cat's fighting, yes. <laughs> cool. Um, in other news, our next episode is going to be episode 150. Wow. Pretty incredible. So that's nice cool. that that's coming around Christmas time. And I think for the Christmas period, we might throw in uh, maybe a bit, a bit of a looser, more relaxed episode, as if it could be more relaxed. But I think we're going to just have some fun so that we can keep some content coming for you over Christmas. There may well be the outtakes episode. We'll see how much time Duncan's got mm. and what's going to happen. So we'll try and keep you entertained over the Christmas break. But it's nice to hit that milestone in our next episode. And I'll just mention quickly, new product from the mill, from the Retro Collective, is the Super Control Dock is now available. This is a USB adapter that lets you use NES and Super Nintendo joypads um, with anything, a PC, a Mac, a Mr., um, a switch even. I've shown it running on a switch, which is awesome. Use uh, an original yeah. NES pad on a switch. So that's available. Uh, Shop.heba.co.uk. All the links in the show note. Go and check that out if that tickles your fancy. Chris, what's been tickling your fancy this week? I'm still trying to figure out how I came back from the UK with Neil's disease, even though we didn't catch up with each other. <laughs> it's <laughs> quite amazing. Powerful. It's spread far and wide. Neil's disease, it's an official name. Um, but no, so I wasn't there, obviously, for that. Um, what I have been doing, finally got around to playing with my Atari 2600 Plus, which is great. And the most liberating thing about that is I've now been able to, because I've made my own video, I've been able to watch everybody else's because I put a, a self-embargo in place. And there's some fantastic content out there on it. So... Yeah, Chris, I've seen so many um, packs being sent out for reviewers, free packs. Did you get one of them? As an influencer yourself, did you get a free 2600 plus? Of course I did not. You did? Um, but oh, did you not. Did. <laughs> <laughs> why, why would I rob myself of the experience of going and spending my own money on on, on the device that I don't even need? <laughs> Look, I've seen, I, I, I've seen the packs. Um, I, I watched Dan Wood's videos, the first one I jumped on after I'd made my own, and the pack looks absolutely stunning. It really does. Um, but then I've seen, and I'm not going to mention channels because it's not a dig at anybody in particular, other than the fact that you've got a channel like Reese's, who is clearly a all-time Atari enthusiast. He didn't get a pack. And then you've got some other channels that are, let's say, even younger retro gaming enthusiasts, and they seem to get freebies from everywhere. They get freebies from from PlayStation Australia for a start. They and they and they've been sent one of these packs. And you think, why didn't somebody like Reese get sent a pack when somebody like this that probably has no attachment, no nostalgia to the the system, does? It just seems yeah. a, a bit weird. Dave? So I I, uh, I saw a Twitter conversation about this last night, and Atari have. Um, they've, they've subcontracted the the promo packs out to another company who's done it. Now, I don't know what they use to do it. I've seen people, I mean, Ian Lee unboxed it, and he's a good person to unbox it. Um, I quite enjoyed his, his unboxing. He kept it nice, nice and short as well. He didn't do the normal. I'm only going to unbox this, and I'm going to take 15 minutes to do it because I want the, I want it to be over 10 minutes. No, he did it. He did it uh, quite neatly. But there are people like Reese who, who I think were in better getting one, and I think they're just going down the lazy influencer route. Here is here is the stuff you'll get from this company. We do lots of different things. You'll get this. You'll get that. You'll get this. And I don't, I don't really watch those influencer console channels I, I, i'd rather have other people i know people have asked neil why he's not done one but neil doesn't do I and mean, rmc don't really do reviews of things neil doesn't like to have to try and rush something out that way um reese's yeah, review is really in I, depth it's, it's, a, it's a really deep one 
Yeah, I do reviews from time to time, but I never rush to get the the latest things reviewed. Like when the Amiga Mini came out, everyone was asking me, when are you going to review the Amiga Mini? And it's like, what's the rush? (laughs) What's the rush? There's 50 years of home micro and console history to be playing with. Uh, You know, I might get to it at some point, but you've got a million other people reviewing it. What can I add to the party while putting the pressure on myself to get it out at the exact time that the embargo lifts on a review? It's just, I don't know, it's silliness. But in terms of who they're sending these out to, I think it just comes down to numbers, to be honest. Who's got the biggest numbers? Where can we get the most exposure? It's just traditional advertising. There's nothing new about that. How can we get get it in front of... No, no, I didn't. Okay. How can we get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible? I didn't ask for one. I wasn't offered one. Um, no. So, you know, I don't know if that's because I don't do reviews and that's known or if I'm just not on the radar because, yes, I just think in our niche, on, I am a big channel, list. but on the grand scale of things, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge channel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, Chris. Sp- speaking of promotional stuff, right, can I do the world's worst promotion ever? Okay. So so if if we had have been doing this episode for last week, this would be brilliant because I'd be saying, hey, next Saturday is the Perth Amiga User Group Meet 10 and we've got Amiga Bill as our online guest, so it's going to be fantastic. Nice. Don't forget to get your tickets. However, we didn't do an episode last week, so now all I can say is if you're not watching this, hopefully you're already at the Perth Amiga User Group Meet because this episode will drop at exactly the same time as we're hosting the meet. But anyway, we do have Amiga Bill. We're very grateful for uh, to Amiga Worst Bill for being our online ever. guest. So Worst it'll be great. Ever. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> so if the numbers are down on this podcast, it's because everybody's too busy having a good time at Porg, right? <laughs> that's what oh, it is. That, that's the influence <laughs> at Porg. That just take, suck away our entire audience because they're all there. Well, I mean, it's great you that know. you've got Bill. Bill will yeah. be uh, yeah. will make a really great contribution to that. Um, and speaking of Amiga people, going back to John from Amigos, he is back from the States again uh, later uh, next year, early next year, whenever it is, for the second Amiga kickstart event which will be happening so um john will be over hopefully we can catch john again and uh chris i don't know are you going to make the effort to come over to the uk and see john depends <laughs> if he... thousands <laughs> upon thousands of every trip it does cost thousands upon thousands <laughs> and next trip nikki will be coming over with me as well so that's double double whatever it is i usually spend it's not cheap but um well it depends if john happens to be in the country when i happen to be in the country um yeah uh i should be over for about a month and a half next uk summer so um, i'll at least be looking at what patron days are are open at that point fantastic make sure i get down there good well it's good to catch up with you all after a little while away so uh, should we get into this week's stories did we catch up with dave we caught up with dave the only thing i haven't said is that i i mentioned the ibm ps2286 model 30 i got i did fix it it turned out the desoldering that RAM DAC put a new one in, fixed it, and I got a couple of things arrived yet the other day. A PS2 XT2 SD, which is a direct replacement for the hard drive in a PS2. It's no, it's not an XT IDE. It's a direct replacement of the hard drive. Works flawlessly. I'm delighted that Peter's made that. Um, so my PS2 will be up and running very soon. A generation used to unlimited access to information and tools is recovering the charm of objects that invite the opposite of smartphones' immediacy. Park life. <laughs> this is the opening of a story on elpais.com. That's E-L-P-A-I-S.com. Um, submitted by Dr. Local. Thank you for submitting this over on the subreddit. And it has the title, 
are we getting tired of the selfie? The surprising return of analog cameras. We are seeing a, a return to analog cameras um, for the documentation of events. Since a film role is not infinite, it forces photographers to choose with precision the moments to capture, creating an emotional bond with the subject. The article continues. And it goes on to talk about how for a generation who didn't experience analog photography first time around, it offers them the chance to experience that photography within the cost and resource limitations of using traditional film. And on a device where an eBay app won't randomly pop up on the screen and tell you someone's listed something, something retro probably, and quick, get it, um, give in to the FOMO, spend your money on it now. The other attraction is the lack of filters, it says, and uh, what they describe as a natural feeling photo. The article also wraps into it mindfulness, into the whole equation, and just accepting photos for how they come out. There's a lot to unpack from all of this and um, no doubt a bit of rose tinting on the lens, so we, we should try and figure it out if we can. Uh, and I think reading through it, it, it's quite a read. You should check it out. Um, I think there's four things being rolled into the story, really, that we can unpack. There's the phone, of course. There's the digital camera, photoshopping, and social media. So the phone has evolved to the point now where even on my iPhone 12, which is a bit old now, even though I've only just bought it, but it's a, it's a bit old. It's got multiple lenses on it. It's got masses of storage. It's got the cloud for storage. We can snap a photo and we can rewind through the frames. So if someone's blinked, we can pick a different keyframe. It's super convenient. Then we've got the rise of digital cameras. They were around before the 90s, but they became affordable as consumer products in the latter half of the 90s and early 2000s. So for many born in that period, digital cameras have always been present. They haven't known a life without them. Photoshopping and filtering, nothing new to that really. That goes back even in an analog form, a very manual form, um, decades and decades. It's just a lot quicker to do it when you start with a digital source and you've got the processing power in your pocket to do it today. And then social media, the pressures from, from peers, especially for a younger generation, to meet the standards set by influencers like Chris. What a high <laughs> standard he sets. <laughs> <laughs> Now, none of these things on their own make analog photography in the modern day super attractive, to be honest. We didn't all go around with SLRs on our shoulders back in the day. That wasn't a thing. Um, we did buy very cheap disposable cameras if we were going to a gig or a festival, and we ended up with you know, the pretty poor results that came with that. But you could get good results. You could capture a moment. You could capture a Kodak moment, as the old adverts used to go. Um, we did take photos on digital cameras before social media was a thing. And, you know, what, what's, what's the difference, I guess? That does result in natural and unfiltered pictures. You're capturing a moment. Yes, you've got more storage, but you're not filtering them. Um, yeah, early digital cameras before they were all on phones. But I do get it. Uh, I do get the idea of wanting to disconnect from um, everything else and being just, just able to focus on taking photos and working within limitations. We talk about this a lot on the show. Um, we like to have a thing that's weighty and good looking and makes lovely analog clunking sounds when we use it, just as I love the experience of using vinyl records. And I know Dave has done that more recently over MP3s. Doesn't mean we've stopped using MP3s. It's just a different experience that we enjoy. So guys, do you use an analog camera? in the modern day? Did you use one? Are you tempted to, again, <laughs> I 
what do you think of the article if you've had a chance to read it and I think part and parcel of this is talking about a world where you have dedicated devices instead of everything piling into your phone. Do you think dedicated devices could enter back into the mainstream as people try to unpack things they want to do and um, have a different experience in doing them? I don't know. Discuss. Discuss. Dave, do you want to go first? We shouldn't let perfect be the enemy of good. A smartphone is good. It has all these things in it a dedicated phone, a dedicated MP3 player, a dedicated camera, a dedicated video camera, a dedicated games device. Those are all maybe perfect things, but putting them all together in your smartphone is a good way to do it. It's useful. I think you need to have... Um, I think you need to have a, a real use case to go to go outside of that and get one of those. I'm not opposed to it, but for me, I never took very many photos. I always come home from something and realise I've barely taken any. Even at the cave last week, I felt like I was trying to take photos, but I took about four or five or six maybe. Mm. If you think back to the analogue days of taking photos, I find that I take more photos now than I ever have done, but I print and sort of conserve fewer and curate fewer. Back in the day, the photos I took, I did print and I did put in an album and I've still got them to this day and lovely albums of holidays and, you know, friends where today an awful lot of what I take and think that's a good picture eventually kind of gets lost when a when a USB mm. drive gets, you know, discarded or a NAS fails. Um, I know that I know that's my fault, but, but it's just the way I kind of treat photos just, these days. Anyway, perhaps value them so much. Um, I mean, I... I any analog cameras I ever had were disposable cameras. Holidays in, holidays in, in Greece or Spain, uh, that type of thing, or festivals. I'd take them in, and then I'd take them into boots and hand them over. And when I came to collect them, I'd be fearing in case there was a picture I'd forgotten about that was obscene. Um, and they would they would miss them out, or in most cases, they would just print them anyway and not care because they see it all the time. Um but this story does resonate with me on two things. And you mentioned mindfulness. The story mentioned mindfulness. And I'm wondering if that's really what we've been trying to describe in the past when we've talked about this. And we've talked about choice paralysis before. Too much is too much. And some kind of restrictions on things make things better in some ways. Um, I mean, certainly that's what I'm doing with the vinyl records. Um, but getting closer to things and away from the highly connected notification-based lives that we live in also has value. I guess if you were into photos, and I'm not into photos, I mean, I'll, I'll look at other people's where I'm in them kind of thing, at events have been. But if you're into photos, if you go to these events and you really get some joy out of taking photos and then in the weeks after looking back at them, if that's what you do, then maybe, maybe this is the way to do it. Maybe getting a, a, a proper camera, even if it is a digital one, uh, but maybe that's the way to do it rather than just a smartphone. I, I don't know. I've always liked the idea of having a photo development room in my house, you know, with the lights dimmed and the chemicals mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the pegs, you know, mm -hmm. dipping. It always looks so cool. I've, I've never done it. Anyone ever developed photos no. that way? No. No, I've no, never developed. No, I, I do turn the lights off when I go to sleep at night. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that I results in any, any further development for you, Dave. <laughs> um, well, none for this podcast. I recently changed my phone to a Pixel 7, and it takes fantastic photos. And the big difference I've noticed is that it doesn't need a lot of... Thank you, Dot. <laughs> it doesn't need a lot of light to do that. 
it um, it doesn't use a flash very often. I can turn the flash on, but it'll take pictures in low light that have a lot of depth in them, and that's a huge difference in any pictures I've ever taken up to now with it. So I, I my photo taking skills are so poor. I need all the help I get, so I'll stick with that. And I think part of that forms the argument for old analog cameras because it's not that the sensor in a mobile phone has got much much bigger over the years. It's because you've got things like AI helping things out. You know, it might take 10 photos and then amalgamate them into one to get the best quality picture out of it at the end and use some AI. I don't know what the software is doing. You know, very few of us do. But the fact is you get a result that you're happy with and it's super, super convenient. I've never taken pictures in the past that I'm really happy with. The only way I've been able to take good pictures in the past is bathing things in enormous amounts of light and even then... It's it's almost like it's overexposed. So that this 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 little phone here is doing what I um I I I've always wanted to do with it, and I don't think I'll change from that because I, again I've no skill in taking photos. Chris, I know you have some photography history. <laughs> I wouldn't call it that. Um, I, I'm I'm a bit like Dave. I, I certainly have no skill, so the modern devices where they make up for that are actually a welcome thing. But I mean, it's I can still right remember... for me to see. I've not got any skill, but you can't see it about me. I'll not take that criticism for you. <laughs> no, but I, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, I, I I I still remember my first ever camera. It was a Christmas present one Christmas when I still wanted toys. I was very young, and I got given this one of the Kodak one one zero cameras. You know, that sort of elongated things with the cartridge film in um which i'm pretty sure only took 12 or 24 photos and you had a you had to put this thing on top with four batteries in it that would then you'd put the flash the globe the sorry the uh the the cube yeah the flash cube and you had like four bulbs one on each side of the cube and they they were one use only like the bulb would literally explode (laughs) to, to give enough light for the photo um but you know regardless of all of that you'd you know you'd your mum would take the the film in to get it developed. You'd wait a week only to find you got 12 or 24 photos of absolutely nothing other than a blur, you know. <laughs> it was it was not good. And then fast forward, my brother got quite big into photography with a proper SLR and he had a couple of different ones and zoom, really expensive zoom lenses and stuff. I borrowed it, uh, one of his particular cameras, to go to Biggin Hill Air Show one year um, with the zoom lens and I came back with some fantastic, you know, it's an air show, the favourite jets like the Harrier and the Vulcan bomber and all that kind of stuff, they're all whizzing past. And I came up with the best photos you've ever seen of clouds. <laughs> of clouds? Oh, no. <laughs> I, yeah, I, think, I think if you looked really closely at a couple of them, there was a little speck in the middle that may or may not have been the aircraft I was trying to capture. Um, so that, that's my memory of analogue photography. So they're not particularly fond ones. Um, but, you know... <sighs> I think these days, especially with your phone, I mean, my phone, I've got it hooked up to OneDrive, so every night it will back up my photo album to OneDrive, so I know I'll never, ever lose a photo that I take on my phone. And that's awesome, but it also means I've got more photos than I can really meaningfully look through. Does that make sense? Um, And so, and kind of, you know, when you take some photos, you're out and about, you take a few snaps, and, of course, the intention, and it's there, is that you're going to delete the crap ones, right? But but you don't. <laughs> so you just end up with 20 photos of a rock because, you know, it was a nice-looking rock and I might as well post that on Facebook because everybody else is going to be interested in this rock that I saw, right? Um, and instead of having one photo, you got 20. Dave, you take photos of rocks? No, I, I don't find rocks are nice-looking. Um, 
What I do, though, is take lots of pictures for utility things, pictures of serial numbers, product yes. numbers, zooming in with my phone to take a picture of um, of an IC on a, on a printed circuit to make sure the legs are all there. All yeah. those different types of things. I take it, it it's not just for capturing the moment. Um, so that, that utility there is probably the, the, the vast majority of it, plus pictures of the cats. Oh, lots yeah. of cat photos. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The, n- the number of times I take a picture of a cable before I unplug it just to make sure I know which way it goes back in, things like that, because you can, because it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing this huge inventory of the cave at the moment, So, and I'm taking pictures of everything. My God, can you imagine how much it would cost to photograph every item in the cave for insurance purposes and for inventory and then process them and print them? So I'm grateful for it for that. So in summary... Um, I think it's a wonderful hobby. If you're into photography, I think it's a nice way to do it. I think it will probably make you a better photographer because you're thinking about everything and the the cost involved in 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 the outcome and and trying to make sure you nail it every time. Great hobby to have, and I admire people that do do it. I don't want to take anything away from them. I don't think analog cameras are going to come back into the mainstream, but I wouldn't be unhappy if we saw more dedicated devices. We're not short of dedicated digital cameras, but there are things creeping into them, you know, extra features and things. What are you doing, Dave? Are you taking a picture there with your phone? I've just done it. I've just taken a selfie. I'll get Duncan to add it in. <laughs> um, and I think we're all fans of the dedicated MP3 player and things like that. We've talked about that in the past. But I think phones and their, their multi-use functionality are certainly here to stay. We are sponsored, thank you very much, by PCBWay.com. Thank you very much for sponsoring us. Um, I'm actually just about ready to hit the button to order my Nuvo Plus 3 and build a Spectrum up from scratch with a disk interface built in. Um, Someone thought they might have a spare board, but it's not quite the one I'm looking for, so I'm going to put my order in to PCBWay, and hopefully I'm not going to mess it up and I'm going to build my Spectrum up from scratch. Um... I have an order coming from PCBWay, Dave. What, what's not coming PCB, from you? Not PCBWay, PCBWay, Dave. That's how much of service. PCBWay.com. Um, I had a message to say uh, something has been shipped, and I thought, I haven't ordered anything. What is it? Um, no, it's not an Atari 2600+, Plus, but this is the kind of deal that I get, Chris. This is what I get sent. I'm going to read you through the list of what they're sending me. A PCBWay 2024 Christmas Edition dual-use pillow. Now, it doesn't tell me what those uses are, but it's a dual-use pillow. A uh, Christmas edition magnetic fabric neck pillow. Um, I reckon I can use these in the next show or when they arrive. A PCBWay Christmas edition mouse pad with keyboard, with uh, wrist rest, a gel wrist rest. A PCBWay Christmas edition thermos cup. A PCBWay Christmas limited edition lanyard. And then some regular edition lanyards. All of that is coming in the post. So I'm going to make an attempt to use it all at once uh, in a future This Week in Retro. Make you jealous with my dual-use pillow. Did you say magnetic neck pillow? Um, Hang on, let's have a look. Magnetic fabric neck pillow. What? So I I guess once you put it on, you can't get it off. It just sort of clamps Uh. shut the magnets. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's it. You are then controlled by PCB Way. Yes. <laughs> Remotely. Ex- explain who PCB Way are. They are they are a fabrication company. Oh, who Mr. Make Sensible PCBs. over here doing the proper sponsorships. Like. Well, I mean, as well as they'll do 3D prints for you, they'll do all sorts of stuff for you, CNC stuff as well. Um, thank you very much for sponsoring us. But I'm going to put my first order in with them and I hopefully I won't make an absolute pig's ear of it. Um, I know they're, they're working with you, Neil, on the, on the PC20, which will be coming out eventually on the channel. Eventually, I've got the boards. So I just need to face the prospect of putting all the components back on them. And also, we got, um, thanks to the board folk who, who reverse engineer these PCBs, we got a couple of boards from PCBWay of the Space Invaders hardware, um, two boards that click together, because a lot of the 70s arcades that we support use the same hardware um it's not just space invaders that uses that it's gunfight yeah. it's um it's the submarine one blue shark is it um and a couple of other ones um they all use the same board set with slightly different roms so it's great to have brand new ones of those to keep our arcades going and it's all thanks to who dave all thanks to pcbway.com steam changed gaming forever starting out as a way to deliver software updates for games like Half-Life. By the end of 2005, Valve had opened it up to sell games from other producers. The first game that I bought on it was in 2008, and it was XCOM Terror from the Deep. And funny enough, that's a DOS game, so I was buying retro back then. Since then, Steam has gone on to dominate apparently $10 billion revenue in 2021. Massive company. And you can get older games on Steam. But another service that launched, actually, I thought it launched much more recently, but it was 2008, so it wasn't long after Steam. Good old games, now just shortened to GOG.com. They now sell modern games as well. But what they did on GOG that was a bit original was they packaged up the games so you didn't need to fiddle and you didn't need to know anything about DOS. You could just launch them and you get straight into the games. Now, for me fiddling around with the old hardware is half the fun but old dos games are some of the best games ever made and anything that makes them accessible to people who didn't have dos gaming back in the time is a great thing um but even before we had gog and steam we had abandonware and i love browsing home of the underdogs because it had an in-depth summary of every game on there and you could find games that, that, that people had missed by, people had passed by and get them there. Of course, Abandonware isn't really a legal thing, and that place mostly existed to close the gap between games that nobody was selling and modern platforms because for a long time, two or three, game, two or three years after a game was released, it would get the budget re-release, and then it would be forgotten and abandoned. But that's changed, of course. Um, a recent arrival is Exodos, which, in their own words, is an attempt to catalogue, obtain, and make playable every game developed for DOS and PC booter platforms. So a PC booter platform is where, rather than going into DOS, you would go straight into the game. It was quite a a mid-80s thing. Um, Now, Exodos is not a legal way to play the games, um, 
but I'm not sure people are too bothered about it. Um, I think the the reason to buy from Steam and GOG is because it's all packaged up and ready to go. It's not because it's difficult to get hold of the games. Otherwise, you can Google it and usually find them. Uh, but it gives you a, a, a useful platform to run in them in Scum VM or DOSBox and makes the experience as smooth as possible. I don't actually use it myself because I've got the old PCs, but it is a really smooth experience, and we're curating it all. But in the last few years, with the Nintendo Switch and now the Steam Deck, mobile gaming is getting deep and serious. It's not just um, it's not just platform games, um, and that's where this week's submission comes in from Doctor Local. It's an article on PC Games N, which tells us that you can now play DOS games on the Steam Deck, presented in a nice tiled layout that matches the Steam Deck layout to make it easy and seamless to play them. I don't have and I won't buy a Steam Deck. I, I don't like handheld things, but I think it's fantastic that the door is being opened for these games because I think one of the most important, important points in games history is when SVGA graphics, sound blasters, met hard discs, opening up worlds of possibilities and giving, giving us games and genres we'd never seen before that just weren't possible until the early 90s. So there's lots of people who missed out on that and lots of people who will get access to it. Now, Neil... What's your favourite way to play DOS games? And for people who have never dabbled in DOS, what are some standout classics for them to try? Well, Dave, I'm going to give you an opportunity here not to get a lot of angry comments because you mentioned how handheld gaming or mobile gaming, you, you kind of insinuated that until now it was only platform games. <laughs> So oh, let me dial that back just a little bit. Yeah. I'm thinking back to the to, to a Game Boy. I'm thinking back to a Game Boy where it was just it was more simple games. Now hmm. people are using the Steam Deck and the the Switch. In fact, they probably have been for me for however long the Switch has been out to play really in depth games, adventure, strategy, and so on. That they and even FPS games, online gaming, and so on, where it was a bit simpler before. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure there's plenty of examples where that's not the case. Things like Advance Wars on the Game Boy Advance, Pokemon, um, you know, RPGs, things like that. There are plenty of things, but yeah, I get what you mean. Simpler games um, and, and, and now nothing holding back handheld systems from running full-on DOS games or um, AAA titles on your Switch, for example, on the move. Um, so as I've been doing recently with, with Bioshock and things like that. Anyway, back on topic. Um, I'm very lucky in the fact that I have a lineup of DOS machines in the cave in the museum here. I can sit down, I can experience those old games, and that's my favorite way on original hardware. But at, at home, I don't have any retro stuff at home. It's all at the museum. So I do, I have bought in the past from GOG. I've used ScumVM. I've used various other modern engine recreations like Exalt, like OpenTTD that let you find the original files from the game, pair them up with the engine, you know, make sure they're in the same folder, get them working. It still requires a certain amount of configuration to um, circumvent, you know, being a pirate um, or paying up front to someone like GOG to get the game up front and all working for you. Now, as you said, when you download from GOG, you look at the package, you look at the folder, you'll find often DOS boxes in there, you'll find the game is in a folder, all there neatly um, organized, ready to go, and you just run it and it works and it runs, pops the emulator up and it works seamlessly. If you're in any doubt that they're cheating in some way, you can copy that game folder from GOG onto original 486 hardware. And once you've fiddled with your auto exec and your config sys, which is the thing you're trying to avoid with GOG, 
you can get it working. It is the exact same original game files, which is really nice. The advantage of using an old PC um, kind of uh, calls back to the first story about cameras. Um, it's, um, you know, it's about the fans, it's about the CRT, it's about the chuntry and hard disks. And that's brilliant for just immersing yourself in the nostalgia if, it's a big if, if you're revisiting games that you used to play. If you're going back and playing games that you never played out of interest, then does that matter so much? Does it matter if you're playing it on a modern machine or an old machine? Because you're there simply to find out about the game. I mean, it's nice. It adds to the experience, but I don't think it matters as much. Um, and and just as an aside for anyone else that that, that thinks I'm holding up the, the, the gatekeeping flag, I'm absolutely not. I'm saying that any way that playing these old games fit around your busy life, so long as it gives you some degree of fun, because that's what it's all about, then it's never been easier thanks to these modern services. And there is absolutely no wrong way of doing it. Um, that's just my personal preference because I have the luxury of the cave. Now, um, I think you asked me games to try, what, what what games people should try if they've not dabbled in DOS. People maybe who had who grew up with a SNES or a, a Mega Drive and never really had the PC gaming, uh, they moved on to maybe a, a PlayStation or Xbox and so on, just totally bypassed DOS if they want to go and experience some of the greats on there, what should they play? Yeah, okay. So um, I, I'd probably lean towards genres that they perhaps couldn't play on a SNES or a Mega Drive or whatever, um, or even, no, it wasn't an Amiga, this one, but I'm going to recommend Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, point-and-click adventure game, LucasArts, lovely SVGA color. Um, you've got a familiar face, a familiar brand in Indiana Jones, so it's not all completely alien to you. And it's not a hard game. You can progress through Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis quite easily and feel that you're making progress. You can play it on a tablet even with Scum VM. Um, it's perfect for some mobile gaming, although if your screen's quite small, hunting the pixel for some of the objects might get a little bit frustrating. But I'd recommend that. I mean, we we can't have this conversation without recommending Ultima 7, of course. I won't dwell on that, but there it is. Um, and one that I put a huge amount of hours into back in the day, I think it still holds up to a degree today, is Stunt Island. Did anyone ever play that? Um, it was a, I think it was a Disney-published game, it might have been. And um, uh, it's basically a sandbox game where you are creating stunts. So you, you, you can either do the predefined sets where you have to do things like fly a biplane through a barn um, and things like that, or you can just take all of the props and the objects and set up your own stunt scene, fly it or drive it or whatever you're doing, and then you can go back and you can stitch together and edit the replay using different camera angles to make your own stunt scene. It's probably really clunky in the modern day, but it's a really nice example of um, a sandbox game and all of the possibilities of having a hard drive, of having SVGA graphics, of having nice audio, um, and of having the processing power to push the 3D. It's a really nice snapshot in time for DOS gaming. Um, or another another 3D game, maybe stunts, um, or uh, 4D stunt, 4D sports driving, as it was over here. That's fun as well. Anyway, it all depends on how old you want to go with your game and what you want to look at. Anything earlier than that stunt island period for me gets a bit magenta. That doesn't yeah. that that doesn't tick my boxes. That's when I yeah. go back into the Amiga era and I've got mm. uh, you know nice color palettes. Um, that, it really depends. There are so many eras of PC gaming. Try them all. Yeah, Chris. 
Well, in terms of how I've played about with DOSBox and I've also, you know, downloaded from GOG as well and I appreciate them both. Although I th- the question mark sometimes if you're trying to visit a game that you're not familiar with is, is this running at the correct speed? You know, especially if you're running as it comes out of the packet. So you need to be careful with that. Um, for me, that's why I've now got the 386DX um, and that's just a personal nostalgia trip. Not the best rig for DOS gaming. Obviously, what you'd actually want is a 486DX66 um, or something like that. But my first PC was a 386DX, very similar to the one that I've got now. Um, although this one does have a turbo button, I could run it at twice the speed as my old one used to go. So I've got that um, sort of luxury as well. But in terms of games, you know me, it's all about the nostalgia for me. So my answer to what game should people play, but the answer is always the games that you hold personal meaning for you. Um, those are the ones that I would you know, go back and revisit. But I get what you're saying, Dave. It's if, if you're visiting it for the sake of visiting the DOS era as something you've not played about with, um, well, my go-to has to be, you know, and for me it fits into my nostalgia journey, it's X-Wing because that is a PC exclusive. It's a fantastic game. And, in fact, it ran runs absolutely fine on a 386DX, which is a bonus for me. And, in fact, I, I've got a plan to I've, – I've not done December before. It's not something I've participated in. And what I've got planned this year is I just thought I'd just sit down in front of the 386DX and I'd install X-Wing from the original discs because I have them in my box copy, um, and I'll see if I can get it working without any assistance from the interwebs with sound on a 4-meg 386DX and also with the first PC joystick I ever owned, and I've got another one here, which is the rather rather lame QuickShot QS113. Got one in a box here, so I need to install the drivers for that because that is how I first played X-Wing was on this very same joystick so um, i'm i'm looking forward to doing that as an experience and i'm also not because i do know x-wing requires a ton of base ram and configuring it to actually get sound working was a pain in the butt back in the day uh, and i'm not i'm actually not looking forward to revisiting that exactly but it'll be fun it'll be fun use um use phil's um menu boot menu for for DOS no. that makes it a lot easier no I can't and you I can't I'm going to use nothing from the internet I'm not going to look up anybody else's tricks nothing oh. I'm just oh. going to go in and I'm going to install it and then I'm going to figure a yeah. uh, mess about with my configs and my auto exec and I'm going to get it working hopefully. everybody else do what I've said and also <laughs> use Unisound which is a, a sound driver that solves a lot of problems with the things and you can you can use it it's a kind of a multi-tool for them so this thing I've talked about is called DOS Deck, and the linked article has instructions on how to set it up on your Steam Deck. So if you do give it a try, especially if you weren't, if you didn't do DOS, please do let us know. There's lots of people that missed out on DOS gaming, and it is really worthwhile going back to. Lots of the stuff has aged well. Some of the strategy games and so on, like XCOM, um, have aged really well. Um, there's 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 lots of sequels to them, but the sequels maybe go too much in depth. Even if you look back to Civilization, it's a lot simpler than the later than the later games. So lots of things to discover there. Point and clicks, as Neil said, fantastic. If you do do that, let us know in the subreddit or in the YouTube comments or on the Discord. Is it housekeeping time, Neil? It is. It's housekeeping, Dave's briefs, whatever we're calling it now. The part in the middle of the show where we touch on uh, stories that were submitted to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. 
which is where we look forward to reading all of your stories that we submit and hopefully include them in the show. And who knows, sometimes we'll give people other than Dr. Local a chance to have their stories included, Dave, won't we? <laughs> also, some updates and anything about the show people need to know. That wasn't a dig, by the way. Thank you, Dr. Local, for all of the stories that you submit. Um, always interesting stories from everyone on the subreddit. And then we pick them out and have a discussion. Or um, if we don't, we like to mention them in Dave's briefs. Dave's briefs, yeah, where he keeps these stories. So what have we had this week? Um, Ian Lee said that uh, having an emulator with hundreds of games overwhelms him, as it does many of us. And he doesn't know what to play. So a picture of an 80s equivalent was posted, uh, and it's a picture of a box of discs. Yes, it's it's easy to forget that many of us did have hundreds and hundreds of copied discs in disc boxes. So um, it was just as easy to be overwhelmed. I guess the process of physically picking a disc out of a box was slightly different than looking at a list of games, and there was also the time investment still required in loading a disc. But, you know, you would sit for a few minutes and decide, what am I going to play today from this massive... Um, box of discs so thank you sybil 66 for submitting that story a seamless edit there by duncan you would never have known we had to go back and check who that was that submitted it thank you sybil 66 dave what else is in your briefs there's been a bit of chat about digital versus physical releases you may have seen that the playstation store has decided to just cancel people's purchases of 1,200 movies from its store and nobody gets a refund and you don't get access to the things you paid for at all. Now, I had talked in the, yeah, I'd talked in the past about Steam sort of doing this by saying Windows 7 is no longer supported. I'm saying surely they can't just cut people off. Apparently you can. So that's what PlayStation have done. I don't know if that's the final word in it or if there'll be a class action or if someone's going to complain or if, if you ask to them whether they'll give you some vouchers off something. But it does seem to me if you pay for a film, if you pay for a digital copy of it, you should be able to access it. So um, that's there. And someone submitted... Um, it was um, someone called Christ of Why Do You with a clip of Christopher Nolan, the film director, talking about similar things about physical versus digital releases. And again, I think um, our, our listeners will probably be on the side of it's nice to have it and to own it and to be able to pick it up and touch it or at least to have it digitally stored yourself rather than in the cloud. Um, G7VFY has linked to a, an art piece, which is an Apple II monitor with a mask and antlers. <laughs> and it's <laughs> absolutely awful looking. <laughs> Christmassy, I'm sure. But, um, yep, there you go. Um, and also the, uh, the well, what's now known as the Pico Gus, or the, the Pie Gus, as we were calling it, or the Pigus, Pigus. I think, Pigus. As, as Dave <laughs> likes to call it. Um, it's reached version two, and it turns the Pico into various different ISS sound cards. A fantastic project. Yeah, that, that's something we talked about years and years ago, uh, the use of either FPGA or other devices to give you the option of reconfigurable ISA cards. Yes. And now it's a reality, a reconfigurable yeah. sound card to be whatever you want. I love it. Love yeah. it. It's been, it's been around, for the, the project's been around for a while, but um, and it's always had little updates, but this is, a, this is maybe the first time it's got a, a milestone 2.0 update to talk about. Yeah. And we'd also like to welcome our new patrons. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash this week in retro. And our new patrons this week are John with an H, Tink Time, John without an H, Scum Buddy, 
and Gareth. So thank you all for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And we're just so glad that you enjoy what we do. And um, hopefully we'll do it for a long time to come. And I think that's the end of your briefs, is it? One more thing. I I do want to say thanks to people for sharing. Uh, As we reach the end of the year, some podcast apps, they call, I think they call it a wrap and they tell you what your oh, most yeah. popular podcasts are. I've been blown up. People have been talking about how this is their most popular podcast and so on. Mm. It's amazing when people do that. Wow. It never really feels real to me that mm. we do this and thousands of people listen. But yeah, it's true. I'm sure it's not just me, right? It might just be me. You know how you're in a bar and you see a chick and she looks like she shouldn't be in the pub because she's clearly too young to be in the pub. But what's confusing is she's actually working behind the bar, and that's why you're confused. It's so old, so old. And, and then you find out, <laughs> I'm not sure how, but that she's like around 25 years old. And she's not too young to be in the pub at all. It's just that you're so old that everybody you else so old, Chris. that young. So I am old. so, I feel old. So I old. feel old. Can you, I don't, can I don't you, even want to know how we found out she was 25. I was going to see this at is what a, this point is a hypothetical. This is a hypothetical situation. What was her name, situation. Chris? What was her name? It was a hypothetical situation. <laughs> person doesn't exist. I just know it happens, right? I just know it happens. This... Anyway, to segue into <laughs> the, the point, story. The that's point how that Chris I, is trying to make. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's the point. Uh, may, may, okay, maybe you're more familiar with this other scenario. When you're watching motorsport and you realise that all the best F1 drivers in the world are 12 years old. And then you realise they're not twelve years old; they're twenty-five, right? Uh, the classic Everybody one is the, the, looks the classic so one is is the moment you think policemen are too young. Or, yes, yeah. they yes. are. That, that's what the are they? One, they yeah. They're not even old enough to drive, <laughs> and there they are with guns in their pockets, running around the streets, pretending to be policemen. Anyway, um, apparently they are twenty-five or above, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, this is how am I going to segue this into the actual story? Uh, it's how I feel about Half Life. It, it seems new and and modern still to me, but actually, uh, it's one year older than my twin boys. It's it's twenty-five, and unlike Atari forgetting the Jaguar's thirtieth birthday completely. Valve are celebrating Half-Life's 25th in style. They're dropping a Half-Life 25th anniversary update on Steam. Where else would they put it? Um, and it's only a few pennies. In fact, I grabbed it straight away because I think over it was uh, in Australia, it was about $1.80 or $1.50. It was absolutely nothing. Um, and it includes the uplink demo level. It includes extra multiplayer maps. And it also includes a correct 16-9 um, aspect ratio if you want to run it like that rather than the traditional 4 by 3 Instead of stretching, it actually adds the extra point of view or field of view. Um, and they've also dropped an absolutely stunning hour-long documentary about the game's development on YouTube for free. Um, and I watched the the documentary about two weeks ago, and it seriously is worth your time. It's very polished uh, in presentation, and it features input from the team uh, that were involved in Half-Life, including Valve co-founders Mike Harrington and Gabe Newell. Neil? Is this um, footage, Chris, recorded at the time or modern-day footage looking back and talking about it? Modern-day footage looking back okay. with some other cool. stuff interspersed. 
yeah, as I'll come cool. to, but definitely some footage of the offices and stuff and what they looked like and photos. I always like, that's what I like to see, yeah, going through so the good. old offices yeah. and the, yeah. seeing the old CRTs and the development kits and things like yeah. that. I love that. So it's them with current day interviews but and, and you know, uh, fresh capture footage of the, of the game, but in the development stages. Um, but yeah, definitely throwbacks to, to um, back in the day as well. The co-founders, engineers, Jay Stelly and Jan Bern, uh, uh, Bernier. Um, artist Steve Theodore, uh, Harry Teasley and Chuck Jones, texture artist Karen Lure, level designer Dave Ryler, uh, designer uh, uh, Greg Coomer, uh, and a few others as well. It's almost as if you're reading them off a list, Chris. It's almost as if I'm reading them off a list. And then then quickly double-checking if I've spelt one of them wrong. But anyway, you know she says Greg Coomer. I think that's meant to be Greg. Greg Coomer. Anyway, Greg. but no, what what does make it interesting, and uh, kind of going back to your point, uh, Neil, as well. But the, the docio is not just about the story of Half Life. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. The docio, the docio, the docio, the docio. The doco. <laughs> just so the Australians understand, right? <laughs> um, but it, no, seriously, it's it's about the story of Valve because obviously they were kind of creating the company at the same time as they were building the games um, in, in tandem. And also how they actually had, and I, I actually, I'm, I'm sure you guys were aware of this, but I certainly wasn't. How they actually had help and insight from um, ID uh, from ID. Uh, they weren't competing; they were actually giving them advice on how to start a games company. And they even handed over the source code to the Quake engine to what would become Valve at their first meeting. You know, before they'd even signed any paperwork, they handed over the source code to the Quake engine so that they could start developing their game using that. Um, it, it really is compelling watching, and it's interspersed with footage from the development stages of the game, um, and even discussing the decision of not wanting to use cutscenes to tell the story. And this is what I love about the game, um, but actually, uh, you know, actually just keeping the player immersed, and also how they kind of develop their own system of making the levels seem continuous by actually using the save load state code, um, and that's how they achieve that. Um, and there's heaps of discussions about world and enemy design, and the, they've, they've got concept art images um, on show as part of the footage as well. Um, it's it's so worth watching, and I'm really glad uh, Christoph, why do you made us aware of this in the subreddit? Um, so, guys, what does or where does Half Life rate on your Geiger counters? Yeah, uh, Doom, GoldenEye, Half-Life. They're the three FPS games I'd take from the 90s if I was forced to choose. Each of them offered something new. And in the case of Half-Life, it was a sense of storytelling, of cinematics, uh, and, the, and the feeling that the FPS genre had matured. And, and when I say matured, I mean to a young man's brain. But it certainly felt like it had taken a step forward. Um I had a decent rig at the time. I could crank the graphics up so I can enjoy everything about it. All the way from the trapped monorail ride at the start that you can't get off your, you know, I I know long set pieces um, or narrative pieces in games often frustrate people. This was just mind-blowing at the time. It's hard to explain now that, yes, you were trapped, but you were taking in the story. You were looking at graphics that had just been cranked up to the next level. You were looking around... Um, it was interactive to a degree. You could look around while the voice was playing. I quite enjoyed that. And then you got into the game proper, the iconic crowbar that you could smash the hell out of everything with, and just the uh, the scientists and the the that whole first level where everything just goes to hell. I love that. I love that, where it all just sort of, it gets real. 
and then you're fighting to to save the world. I love it. Um, this was in 1998 that Half-Life came out. So I think the next time I felt a similar sense of cinematography and atmosphere in a game, it was probably Max Payne in 2001. Um, I don't think there was anything between the two that really got me. There were, there were other games like Sin. I don't know if you played Sin, came out the same year as Half-Life. So it had some nice cinematic set pieces and you could, it, it was very gory. But I don't know, Half-Life just, well, there's a reason why it won so many awards when it came out. It was great. Aside from the storytelling, what made it possible to be great was, of course, the game engine. You talked about id Software there. In the case of Half-Life, um, the engine was called the Gold Source, um, which was a very, very heavily modified version of, of the Quake engine, like you say. Brilliant that id Software gave it to them. Would id Software have given them the engine if they knew how big Half-Life was going to be? I'd like to think yes. I think that's just the kind of company id Software are. Um, and they would have benefited as well from that engine being used in that way. Um, it was also a milestone in that it was Valve's first ever game released. Uh, and they've gone on to do other great things like Portal, like Left 4 Dead, like Counter-Strike. Um, and of course, Half -Life they've... <laughs> Half-Life 3. But only we've got the review copy of that, so we can't yeah. talk about that. Next week's um, episode. <laughs> and uh, as uh, Dave mentioned in the last story, the Steam um, shop, the Steam store, launched in 2003. So Gabe Newell really was on the ball when it came to digital distribution. He'd obviously watched the iPod and the distribution of digital music and gone, we can do this with games. A lot of the world is still on dial-up or slow broadband. It's going to take t a while. You know, you could still go out and buy your Orange Box Half-Life 2 and Team Fortress and things like that, but Steam was there. Go on, Chris. Well, and, and it, it succeeded despite kickback from players, myself included, because it brought in this weird sort of situation where even to play a single-player offline game, you had to authenticate. You had to have a connection, which was not a popular move. So, yeah. Was that always the case? Did you always have to, or was it just the first time you played the game? I can't remember now. Because I know there were some services like um, the service that Codemasters used for F1GP, like 2002, something like that, 2003. I couldn't play it single player unless I had an internet connection. And my internet was down a lot in those days. So that was really painful. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember if it was. I can't remember if it was every time. Definitely, when you first installed it, you had to authenticate, even if you yeah. just wanted to get going. Um, and then, might be a blurred memory, but I'm sure it was every so many games or something you had to right. authenticate. Right. Yeah, 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 to yeah. prove you've got the legit thing. Yeah, but, yeah, and of course, you'd have your team speak running alongside it or whatever else. Good, Vintrello. good times, good times, <laughs> Trello. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, Half Life launched more than just half-life it launched valve it launched steam it was so much more than just a game and it continues to dominate today yeah my first fps love was ultima underworld it's not really an fps but yeah um it always i always want to point it out that that that's that's came out the same time as doom um and while i did play doom and then quake and rot and all the rest of it i never put a lot of time into them i was playing muds at that point and I, I didn't put a lot of time on, so I, I would I would load them up, type in the cheats, see what they did, 
and then move on to do something else. Um, and I did play Half-Life for a short period of time back in the day, and then maybe again, I, I started to play it four or five years ago, uh, and I, I, did, I didn't get sucked into it and compelled to continue, which is strange because I, I did enjoy the storytelling going on and the depth of it. I didn't realise this back in the time, but it's much deeper, as you both said, and much deeper than just Doom or Quake. Um, so I've looked at the remaster, and I'm thinking maybe this is the way I'll play it. Um, I look at the, the, the required, the minimum specs, uh, minimum 500 megahertz processor, recommended 800 megahertz. So that's not what people would be using in 1998. Uh, minimum 96 mega RAM, recommended 128. Uh, recommended 32 megabyte plus video card and Windows XP. So I'm delighted that means that it's it's not one of these things that's been shoved through Unity and needs a modern computer to use. I'll be able to use the the enhanced remastered or whatever you want to call it version, the 25 year anniversary one, on an old PC on a 4.3 monitor and enjoy what's slightly better but the real experience back from back in the day um so maybe that's the inspiration i'll need to play it certain standout i mean i absolutely loved half-life played it start to finish and it just had so many standout points for me like um one of the characters i think they just referred to it in the documentary as or the doco as the tentacles and it was this thing in a big big hole in a in a sort of a room and it and and it was just the tentacles poking out and the the, the concept was that they could hear you they could hear your play. So the last thing you wanted to do was smack something with your crowbar or fire off a shot or walk too fast or anything that would generate a noise. And it really did feel like it was hearing you. And obviously there would be within the code, there's triggers going on. But but as the player, you were so immersed in this sort of and I'd never come across anything like that before, where literally you're scared to, to move too fast because this thing's going to spike your head head to pieces, you know? Um, so it was, it was just amazing. Um, and also, and I touched on it as part of my intro, but the storytelling without cutscenes, I hate cutscenes, and modern games just put so many in because they're so obsessed with storytelling. This is a perfect example of a game that is so steeped in its own story and it doesn't need cutscenes to take you out of the immersion and, and actually tell you that story. You're within the, the, the player the whole time, and it's it's just fantastic. It's a really good example. Um, and the other thing that stood out for me is obviously it led into sort of spin-offs or stuff that was started in the modern community, like Day of Defeat, Second World War multiplayer shooter, and of course Counter Strike, which became massive. Um, and the weird thing is, th- these were more popular than at the time. You know, you did have mods for well. Okay, it was a couple of years later, but um, you had good mods coming out for Unreal or Unreal Tournament, sorry, like Air Buccaneers and there was a Star Wars one as well, which I can't remember the name of, and a fantastic um, Second World War shooter based on the Russian front called Red Orchestra. Now, I'm guessing, I'm seeing blank faces on my other screen there, that you'd not played Air Buccaneers and you've not read orchestra they were fantastic and these were all with the with the unreal engine but everybody was so obsessed with everything that was coming out of you know what had essentially been you know dripped off of the back of of half-life because it had such a big following these things didn't get a look in so yeah really really powerful um really important part of of gaming culture i think it's no secret how much i love first person shooters and i did play half-life probably a bit late in the piece which is probably why i think it's too young to be behind the bar it's probably around 2003 was when i played it and it's it was still a stunning game to play even then um but yeah half-life it was 25 on the 19th of november uh, and i think it's still looking great for its age
It's time now for our community question of the week. Now, I was away for the last show, but you guys set the question, which was, which retro system's birthday do you celebrate the most and why? I mean, how, di- how deep are we going into this, guys? Are we talking about baking a cake, wearing a hat, blowing up some balloons? All of the above. All of the above. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, okay. Let, let's, let's go and check the answers. <laughs> Okay, the top answer is from Battle Pratt. My answer doesn't strictly qualify for another five years if we consider vintage retro as 20 years. I mean, that's that's you setting that. That's not us. 20 years. But I will never forget my astonishment when a friend pulled his iPhone 3 out of his pocket in a pub. It had a spirit level on it and a carling app that would simulate the pouring of a pint of lager. I remember that. I remember... People getting their iPhones out and going, look, if I turn the phone, the beer pours. Do you remember? <laughs> I, I I just remembered the fun of those silly apps that we used to get, yeah. farting apps, all sorts yeah. of apps, and now apps are no fun at all. I made a farting app on, on Windows Phone and put it in the store, but there were so few Windows Phone owners, nobody... I think maybe three people downloaded it or something. So there you go. I once made an app and published it. Nice. And about three people used it. Um, How did you get the sounds? No, it wasn't a farting app. <laughs> it was it was a it was a beatbox app. So you could press record and you could record like a little clip of you doing a snare drum or whatever, and then you could assign it to a pad, and you'd have nine pads on the screen, so you could do oh, I like that. little recordings of your voice. That's what it was. Yeah, it actually sounds quite good. It was terrible. Fantastic um, that you targeted the least used platform. <laughs> <laughs> It only takes one superstar artist to download it and use it in a song, Chris. Um, it might still happen. Um, anyway, so uh, Battlebrat goes on to say, he talks about the Carlin app. He says, minutes later, an angry mob stormed the pub and took him away. He was tried for witchcraft and subsequently burnt at the stake at, uh, the following morning at dawn. I, I, we'll take that last bit with a pinch of salt, but I definitely remember the app. Yeah. Um, he wants to read the next answer. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, okay, go on, Dave. Okay, I'll do it. Lord Borak three one six Amiga five hundred uh, plus. It's not actually. Uh, sorry, Amiga five hundred plus. Not its actual birthday, but the first of November nineteen ninety one because I got one for my birthday, and I always remember it every year and the joy it bought me. Uh, I I had a lot. Uh, I had to sell a lot of retro collection to help fund being off work for 10 months, but I refused to sell my A500 uh, Plus because my mum bought it for me and I love its yellowing, creaky ass. Um, <laughs> off to Hong Kong. Just like you. Yeah. He then shares a bit of a, a, a personal recap about what's going on in his oh, life. Wow. So, we, um, yeah, we, we wish you all the best with that, mate, and um, hope that's gone okay for you. Um, but, yeah, that's in the subreddit if you want to have a read. Yes. yes. Um, Comment um, when you're back. Yeah. Yes. Comment yes, please. Good luck with that. Hope you recover well. Yeah. And love your story about the A500, to be honest, because, yeah, I think that's a good way of doing it, celebrating the day that you got yours. That's certainly yeah. one of the things yeah. I like to do. Fantastic. Every yeah. year every year at Christmas, I always think about the Amstrad CPC I got on Christmas Day. It's just <laughs> nice. all the more special Christmas Day for that memory. Yeah. Yeah. Christ of Why Do You says, how much later the European SNES birthday was compared to the Japanese Super Famicom birthday, almost two years caused me to vow one day to learn Japanese so that I could get into video games faster. 
Here I am, 30 years later, living in Japan, yet I rarely buy any games younger than 20 years old. So I kind of celebrate the late birthday of the SNES as it got me interested in Japan. That's very cool. Really nice. cool. Um, so he's uh, Christ of YDU. He's our contact in Japan then, if we need any <laughs> Japanese retro. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, everyone, who took part in the community question of the week. There's there's plenty more answers from uh, uh, Rally, BBCB, Devotee, Naoki, um, Chromatic Core, talking about the Dreamcast, Corex, talking about the Australian release date for the Xbox 360, March 23rd, 2006, for anyone wondering, and Fulton Bot, talking about the, uh, the original PlayStation. And again, not its birthday, but the day they got one in November of 1996. Yeah. So. yeah. Lots of great personal memories there. So on to this week's community question of the week. Of course, head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro to take part in the community question of the week, which will be pinned at the top or uh, to submit stories that you might like us to talk about. And remember, you can also come to discord.gg forward slash RMC retro. That is our chat server. There is a dedicated this week in retro room. If you're a, if you're a this week in retro patron, you get to have a pink name. I mean, if that isn't selling it magenta 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 magenta. if that isn't selling it i don't know what is um but yeah come along and chat to uh chris dave and i and everyone else who listens and the wider cave community as well and this week's question of the week is what do you try to keep off your phone even though it can do it do you use a different device to your phone for hobbies or activities like photography like music or for other things let us know Maybe it can make our lives simpler and more enjoyable. Are we happy with that question of the week, guys? Sounds good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No birthdays, no candles involved in this week's question. Good. Okay. Well, thank you, as always, everyone, for taking the time to listen. We hope you have a fantastic weekend, and uh, we'll see you next week, and we'll start making plans for Christmas and getting all festive, and um, we should have some decorations up by next time, surely. Yeah, not a reluctant nod. I'm not even going to try putting up a Christmas tree. Dot would have it wrecked in 15 minutes. Yeah, Chris has got a picture of a tree on his television. Yeah. Um, maybe Fair a enough. fake fireplace burning away there above well, the real fireplace. We recording it, about 15 minutes ago, she was climbing the curtains in this room. Yeah. <laughs> have the cats ever sharpened their claws on any of your big box games behind you, Dave? No, no. The only thing okay. that, that that's happened with is I've got a boxed PCW, an Amstrad PCW, and Dot has been using one side of the box as a scratching post. Oh, uh, just a cardboard. Fantastic. Oh, no. Good. Well, let's carry on this chat in our own time. <laughs> we'll catch everyone else <laughs> next week. Take care, Bye. everyone. Bye-bye. Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel.
Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.